Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Anne Rulan. In any organization, relationships are the key to ensuring success. In entering her career as an educator, Dr. Anne Rulan quickly realized working with her students that the ability to be reflective and having an understanding of themselves as learners, they could recognize and capitalize on their strengths. Having the ability to recognize strengths place students in a mindset on how they can overcome any weaknesses. Through these experiences, Anne came upon the realization that developing strong relationships helped others see the possibility of their strengths and in turn support the practice of self-reflection and the desire for continuous growth. As Anne moved into administration and her role as an instructional leader, she facilitated conversations with teachers and administrators for them to recognize their strengths. Through this cycle of self-reflective practice, students, families, teachers, and administrators are able to adapt to the ever-changing practices that we find in education. Anne firmly believes that education is a journey, and with all good journeys, there should be detours and stops that we did not initially prepare for, but in the end, makes us far more valuable. Welcome, Dr. Anne Rulan. How are you? I am doing very well, and you? I'm doing well. We mm-hmm. are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes, I am. Awesome. All right. So, Anne, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Yes. So my path to leadership is a little different, I think. Mm-hmm. I um, originally started out when I went to college, I wanted to do everything. And I did major in performing arts. That really took me on quite a journey in that I also realized how much I like to write through that. I still consider myself a writer. I don't get a chance to do it as much as I like. Worked for a local newspaper, was their publications editor, and then joined a local theater group and started doing arts and education, where I went into the classrooms and did performances, but I did more of a workshop model, and I just fell in love Mm -hmm. with that ability to Mm -hmm. work with students. So, um, and to impact them to really make a difference and to understand that it was so unique each time or with a different group of students. Mm. So it was, it's just very exciting to be part of that. So I did go into education. I became an elementary teacher, did some subbing for a year, was a first grade teacher and then a fifth grade teacher. At that time, then my principal spoke with me and saying, you know, I think this is something you would be really great at doing. You are taking a leadership role in here in the building. And, you know, they were putting together a cohort. And so I went into administration and was very lucky that right after I got my degree, I became an assistant principal for a year and then was able to move into the principalship. Mm-hmm. I went to one district, then I went back to the district I was assistant mm-hmm. principal. And 
through that, had some really good mentors there. And after, you know, about five years, I'm ready for something a little different. So, um, so you like to challenge yourself to grow. Always, always. Mm-hmm. Not only does it make your life <laughs> so much more interesting, I think that you can have a greater impact when you're being self-reflective and mm-hmm. continually looking at your own practices and your own beliefs even, and so you can move forward. So tell me a little bit about that transition from educator into administration. Was that difficult for you? It's not so much more of difficult. I think you have to realize that you're still the same person. Sometimes you're not viewed as the same person, but you're being put into a situation where you're making different decisions. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because all these times when you're thinking, gee, I might have done it this way. Now you are doing something a little bit different. And I always know how, as a teacher, I wanted to be able to understand that. So that was important to me going into administration, that people understood where the thought process was. And why you were making decisions. Why I was making decisions. Mm -hmm. They may not necessarily agree, but they could respect the process and the end result, at least. I love that because what that shows is that you value people. I mean, I know that's the way I would want to be treated. Mm -hmm. So it's an important part of actually moving forward. And what is it that you're doing now? So now I'm the assistant superintendent for curriculum instruction at West Islip School District, completing my fifth year. It's been fast, I have to say. (laughs) Some great challenges. Mm -hmm. Very proud of the work that everyone has been doing. We've been seeing some results, so I'm, I'm really happy about that. So I know that when we were speaking before, actually, this is our second round because I forgot to press record the first time. You're so gracious. I love that. Thank you so much. I mean, we were just talking about humility and I was completely humbled out. But one of the things that you said when you went into the different position is that you felt that you weren't ready, but you went ahead anyway. Yes. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. What motivated you to go ahead? Well, a couple of things. First of all, one of the things we always talk about, what we want for our students, we want them to be risk takers. How can they be when we're not risk takers? And I also think you can never be 100% ready for something that's unknown to you. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to go in thinking, okay, so we may think we know what that's going to be like. But at the end, we have to remember that we have to be flexible enough. We have to be reflective along the way. We have to listen to people. We have to think of things from maybe a different perspective so that you can be successful as you move forward. And through that, growing and learning, I mean, this such an exciting experience to be able to do that. Another thing we're always saying, too, is we want to be asking questions and being inquisitive. But when you get bogged down with all these things, you know, the child that keeps asking all the questions, you say, you know, I wish they stopped asking questions. But that's not the way it is. If it takes us on a whole different turn, that's what makes it a little bit more exciting. You know, it's and fun. relevant, I think. Yeah, I have a 14 year old and sometimes that's hard. But I think he really primes my leadership, like because it's all about leadership. It's mm-hmm. all about influence with him and, and students. So, and how would you describe your leadership style? I would describe it as being more of a coach. You know, there are times when you may be using a combination of different styles, but I think to really move forward, what I found that works for me is trying to guide people, ask questions, learn from them, maybe change the process of what we're doing based on what I'm hearing from an individual or a group or, you know, a committee, really trying to give them the tools so that they can be part of their own kind of journey 
through whatever initiative we're kind of going through. And I think that's a natural piece for us if we do use a coaching model, that it sets up the culture that, you know, we're all learners, we can all learn from each other, and that we expect to grow and to get better by either doing, you know, more practice on something or doing some research or changing the way we do that and testing it out. So I'm very comfortable with that model. And I always feel like I learn just as much as where we're trying to move about with that whole coaching piece. You know, my heart is full because I really believe that to be an effective leader, you need to know how to coach. And I don't hear this much in education. Yes, I agree. And it's interesting, we have a little bit of a book talk here right now. And we're doing the um, book, The Student-Centered Coaching. Um, Mm. So it's interesting because what it does is what we're talking about, that process about what we want to coach students to do, we need as administrators to practice that and use that model with our teachers so that they, in turn, can see the benefits of that. Right. We walk the talk. Yeah, walk the talk. Absolutely. Awesome. So, Anne, can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I have read this quote that I can't attribute to a person but to a place. It's from the United States Naval Academy. They have in their welcome letter, and you can see throughout their halls, different quotes, but this one stands out for me. It says, excellence without arrogance. Mm -hmm. And I love that piece because... It talks about not just modeling, but working towards the excellence piece. What does that mean? We could have a very long conversation on, but I really think that always working towards we can improve, we can get better, and through self-reflective practices is one thing. But also to remember it's about being humble, you know, having the humility mm-hmm. to understand that you may not have all the answers. We may need to go back. I may need to abandon this whole you know, plan that I have that I thought was great. And you know what? It's not that great. Mm-hmm. So it's time to let that go. And I think that's really what it is to be open, to understand that you can learn mm-hmm. and that you should learn. I love this because it puts us in a space where we're more open to learning in organizations and especially in education where we come across a lot of people who know a lot. And sometimes we can be arrogant in what we know, right? Yes. How can we practice humility? Well, first of all, remind ourselves, what do we really know? Yes, I think that I've spent my whole life pursuing different degrees and different knowledge and going through that. But I recognize that there are library buildings full, databases full of things that I don't even have a clue on. Mm -hmm. So that in itself, I think, is very humbling but also to realize that there's always something to learn. And being open, that's another, I'm going to misspeak it, but it's another quote about leaders being able to accept the thought without truly understanding it, mm-hmm. you know, or believing in it, just to accept the possibility. I think that's one of the things that we need to do is we may think we have the answer, but really think about it and listen to you know, who's ever in the room, whether it's an individual, again, a group of people. Mm-hmm. Let me listen to this and really reflect back on that. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I need to do more research. Right. You have to be very intentional in doing that. So I really appreciate that. You know, I'm very impressed. You don't have your notes with you. It's in your heart. Oh. And I love that. <laughs> um, well, thank you. So, and what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I really value the leader who can take a thought that they may not have heard before and 
think about that different perspective. Like to me, that was always something where, you know, if you talk about thinking outside the box or looking at mm-hmm. different things, that the leader who really listened so well to that and would think about, even if they don't agree with you, really take in about what you're expressing. I've always found that so valuable because I think if people feel valued when they feel that they're being listened to and that they're being heard, and again, I say I do, so perhaps that's why I feel that strongly mm-hmm. about doing it that way. A leader who can be such a good listener and you know they're thinking about what you've said and they valued your opinion even if they don't take it you feel I've been heard right I mean when I think about what you're saying that's certainly someone who I would want to follow too because I feel valued Mm -hmm. and when someone feels valued we can go above and beyond because of that that's you know a really important way of being You are, as a matter of fact, I feel that from you. In what you're saying from the very beginning, you value those you lead. You listen to those you lead. You coach. And I honor that because one of the laws of leadership is the law of addition, which means that a leader adds value to those around them. A good leader does. So, And what's the best advice you've ever received? My best advice actually goes into kind of what we're talking about. And I share this with every person that I can think of, too, is take the 24-hour rule. Mm. We don't always have the opportunity to take 24 hours, but take 24 hours to rethink a situation. And I think that has value in so many different ways. If it's a parent with a concern, then they know you're thinking about it. They know I don't have the answer before they even got through whatever the concern was. They know that I'm listening to them and I'm responding to it. Same thing with any kind of concern, whether it's teacher concern, student concern, parent, my colleagues, my superintendent, is that you're thinking about it. Many times, you know, we think that we're so educated that we know what the answer is (laughs) and that we're right. And, you know, maybe 95% of the time I'm going to arrive at the same answer. But that 5% is huge because that 5% might be a difference for a student for a way a parent feels about the district, about the way a teacher is feeling about themselves, about how the principal is feeling about the morale in the building and how this has changed it for him or her. You know, those are the things that if you're very careful and methodical about your thinking, that you can make the least amount of mistakes. It doesn't mean you're not going to make any mistakes, but... I mean, this speaks to me because I used to be the kind of leader who, you know, you want results... Let's keep moving. Come on, I have things to do. And we're busy. Same as we're busy. As, yes, right. right. <laughs> so so when we're, move on. Right, you know? because things are coming at us all the time. So that advice is really powerful. It helps on all levels. What you said, it helps the other person to understand that you really are thoughtful about this. You're not just making a decision because you feel a certain way. You want to add value to them. You mm-hmm. want to consider all perspectives. I love this advice rethink it take 24 hours really think it through and yes that does not come easy to me because I think sometimes as leaders we feel like you know we show weakness if we don't make Make a decision decision. right away perfect okay so and what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build or sustain one so building a good team again I think it all depends on what the purpose is right now I am with one of the directors were running a PLC on assessments. 
So there it's by interest base. So you have the people in there and, you know, we purposely left it open because we want it to be eclectic and have different ideas because we can learn a lot from each other. You know, the kindergarten teacher has a lot to offer to, you know, the 11th grade teachers. So having the abilities to work in that kind of atmosphere, but of course set up a little bit different than maybe if you're doing an advisory group or if you want to do a focus group. I do think that the most diversity you can get in a committee is the best. And I also enjoy trying to recruit people who might be naysayers. I'd rather hear that in my small group about how can we overcome what those issues may be Mm -hmm. than going out afterwards. But with any kind of team building, I do think, you know, you get in there, we talk about, okay, this is why we're here. Why are you here? So now you have a good barometer of where people are. And then with that group, I always kind of start out, what's our guiding principle? What do we want to achieve? So we can kind of keep focused because you want to get finished. Whether you're making recommendations or you're writing up a plan, you want to have a product or something tangible at the end. Right. It's, it's just a great feel of accomplishment. And then I think more importantly after that, the follow-up. Mm-hmm. And really tapping into their strengths and letting them use those strengths, it's very powerful. I think that is powerful in that you want to bring in diversity you also want to continue to navigate that team and to keep them focused on what the whole purpose of having this is about. And I think we've been a part of teams where we're like, okay, what happened? Everything right. derailed. Yes. <laughs> and we've accomplished nothing. I love that you have that focus and that purpose in mind. How important is trust? I think trust is one of the most important things. And it could be in many different ways. First of all, I think Trust that people have in your credibility about, you know, who you are. Trust to know that I'm not going to give them an answer unless I know what the answer is. Don't pretend to know something you don't know. And conversely, it's the same thing. I need to be able to trust the people that I'm working with as well. So sometimes you need to set the tone for that. When you trust somebody, you may not understand some of the things that are going on, or you may not agree, but you trust the person to know that they're making the best decision that they can with the available information. Mm. And that's important. Trust to me is something that we do need to build, in education especially. And it's something that I talk about all the time. And as a leader, how would you build trust? I think by working with your faculty and staff and one teacher at a time, Mm. getting to know them. So you're building relationships. Building relationships. Let them know who you are. You need to be not only visible, but you do need to be vocal in that they understand what your thought process is so that they understand that through my actions now, because I said this and now I did it. So integrity. Yes, the integrity Mm -hmm. piece. It's far more important, I think, for administrators than we think. Like We are not just the role models. As leaders... We have to be above and beyond what we think our teaching staff or our students should be. That's where I think sometimes we don't realize how important that is, telling the truth. Knowing when when you made a mistake and owning up to it. I think that's big. I know that as a parent. My son was in the wrong class the first day of school, and nobody knew about it, and he was claimed the whole bit. And the principal said to me, she said, you know what? I have no excuse for this. This shouldn't have happened. And it made me feel good because I knew that it was never going to happen again mm-hmm. to not only my child but someone else. And I've used that throughout my career is about saying, if you made a mistake, you have to own up to it. That is far more powerful right. than me telling you I'll always do the right thing. I'll try to do the right thing, but I make mistakes. So that vulnerability piece is important. That authenticity piece is important. Yes. Thank you so much. 
Now, Anne, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? My oldest son had extensive medical history. You know, his prognosis was very bad, and every day it's been a gift. He's doing very well now. But when we went through this whole piece about different doctors and getting ready for the worst, I learned a couple of things. New doctors gave us information they thought we could handle. So if I remain calm and I ask good questions, I was going to get a lot more information. That's been so valuable to me as an administrator. Because sometimes you walk into a faculty meeting and people are angry or upset about mm-hmm. something, you know, especially thinking of APPR, all these type of things going on. And being able to remain calm has been so valuable to me. The other thing, though, is that realizing the whole scheme of things, the most important thing is our health and safety. Mm-hmm. And any day you're healthy and that you're learning is a great day. It just puts things into perspective for me. We could always find things to complain about, but why? It's so much better to look at life about look at all the blessings we have. I love that. Hey, leaders, if you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. So let's talk about being calm. Mm -hmm. What are some practical things that we can do to remain calm in situations that can be stressful? Well, one of the things that I always do is I prepare for the worst. I know that just saying be positive on that, but I do prepare for the worst so that I can be coherent and have a logical explanation. What's strategic? I think something's going to come up, you know, at a board meeting or if I'm going to this department meeting or something like that. I'm prepared and I'm thinking about what's all the different things they can say. What would be all the concerns? And you try to put yourself in that position. So when people are asking questions and they're seeing that, first of all, you have an answer or say, okay, this is the way I'm thinking about it, but I don't know that you have thought about it. I think that kind of calms some people down. Some people just like to be a little adversarial. Mm-hmm. And I remember working on my dissertation and one of the professors was saying, you know, when you have all these things going on, it's just noise. It's just information for you. You got to think about it and don't take it personally. And not react. And not react. You really have to kind of remember that. And it's actually very calming for you when you think that. Because mm-hmm. you can have a situation, you see someone being maybe even a little belligerent mm-hmm. and you're looking at them thinking, what is their blood pressure doing? You know, what mm-hmm. you know, what are they doing? Their heart is racing, they're red in the face. It's not healthy to be that way. You know, I love that about you, <laughs> that you, even in that situation, your way of being is to consider them. And that's a really effective way to be as a leader. You know, I've been in situations where people become belligerent. I've been angry. And so I know that nothing happens of significance when I let my emotions control. Mm, yes. Um, and this is speaking to what you're saying, to remain calm and to practice that. You also mentioned that the most important thing is health. And as leaders in education, there's so much that comes at us. How do you maintain balance? Yeah, that's something I still struggle with. I will be very honest with you. But I do make sure that I work towards keeping a balance that's acceptable to me. And I say that I come from a fairly big family. We see each other a lot. But I know that, you know, when they were younger, for me, it came down to organization. 
you can make things happen when you are organized. And I say this because my husband is a retired police officer, but I remember him working nights and kids coming in and planning dinner so that we had at least 15 minutes together. So it was about planning for things. One of the biggest things that I am very proud of myself for recently is trying to take care of myself. So I do work out. I've been making sure that I make the time for that because that's so easy, I think, especially when you have long days and long nights, that you kind of let that go to the wayside. So um, do CrossFit three or four times a week. and High you know, five. Yeah. High five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, feeling really proud of myself. You know, a couple months ago, I couldn't even pick up the barbell. And now, you know, I can do my deadlifts at 85 pounds, you know, so <laughs> I'm hurting. But, <laughs> but I feel really proud of myself for that always watched what I eat or things like that. But that organization piece about how does that fit in, you're doing that. And then also trying to find ways to do some shortcuts on some stuff. I have two children in the military, one from the Naval Academy, graduated. She's a Marine, and one is in the Army. He's a sergeant in the 82nd Airborne. And I have a lot of good quotes, you know, but that one resonated with me. So, like, when opportunities come to see any of my children, then realizing, okay, so maybe – might be cheaper to drive, but, you know, let's fly. It's all about the organization. I have a book on my bookshelf that says, Adaptations for Women Who Do Too Much. <laughs> okay, that was my first year of being a principal, and my assistant superintendent gave it to me. She goes, you know there's something wrong when your boss is giving you this book. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed to say I think I only got 10 pages deep into it. So I haven't been meditating on those things as well. But it's constant work, but I think when you know that and your children – understand and they value what you're doing you're not missing any family meals they're all coming to my house the the holidays you take the time to do that and you have your memories and you're constantly in touch you have to make it work Mm -hmm. wonderful thank you so much for that now can you tell us about one of your greatest successes I think it's really hard to talk about a success that I may have because nothing is ever done in isolation So I think about, and I think I said this just before too, is I'm very proud of the work that has been going on here at West Islip in the past couple of years. But it's not because of me, I'm part of it. But I feel very proud of whether it's how are we assessing students, you know, are they valid and reliable, are they assessing what we're doing, are we looking at the grading practices. We've taken a different look about how do we do curriculum writing. Everything keeping an eye on what meets the needs of our students. Differentiating. To me, is I just feel that it's a success that I can be a part of that, that I can be maybe the person to help support that. And I always said this when I first came in here, and I said it to the teachers, and I said it to the administrators, I really feel my role is a supportive role. So for me, in order to make those successes happen, is the person, whether I'm getting the professional development, whether I'm getting the resources, whether I'm being a sounding board, or giving people a voice. I just see us moving in such a great direction, and we're getting results, and I'm happy about it, proud of it. You light up when those that you lead are successful. Well, I didn't know that, but I do light up, yeah. I mean, you're just a very positive person. But when you were just now talking about Mm -hmm. your successes and you were speaking about what you value as a success, you were talking about those you lead and you were just lit (laughs) up. (laughs) The reason why I think that, though, is because a lot of times an organization can be successful, but people don't feel they're successful. The teachers and the administrators here feel successful by this. So to me, that's a real success. It's one thing when you're part of something. It's another thing when something's being done to you that you're a part of. I get it, because you can say you're successful because on paper, 
the scores right. say you're successful, but the culture doesn't. Correct. Thank you so much for that. Now, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? Oh, lifelong learning. To me, I really think you have to kind of go back to, I think, what we spoke about before, being able to accept a thought that you don't agree with. To remind yourself about what is it that you don't know, and what's the purpose for you knowing. So in my role here, I'm curriculum and instruction, but I also do personnel. So human resources, that's a whole big piece, the instructional piece, which is huge. We don't have directors for every department, so I'm overseeing counseling and world language, you know, so to try to make sure that I'm trying to hit everything and we're successful about things is that you have key people in places that are helping you along. So I know, you know, for sure that my lead counselor, we have lead teachers and a lead world language teacher, they're the resident experts. And I have to rely on them, and I trust them to do that, and they trust me. I was just recently telling the story to the Board of Education about observing in a kindergarten class. And it was adorable. It was just right before Thanksgiving. It was art. And, you know, when they're leaving, they were kind of going back and forth with the little kids. But this one little boy said to me when he was leaving, he goes, so what are you going to do now? You got to go back to work? And just the way he said that, I mean, first of all, made me laugh. But I thought about it. He is right. Look what I get to do. And here I am learning from this five-year-old. What a precious thing I have that I get to see this and be part of that. You know, and it's like, here it is, a little, little five-year-old <laughs> who told me he's definitely going to college because he's turning six right away in January. Oh, so, I mean, lovely. yeah. So, so I think we it's get being, to work in that environment. We get to too. work in that environment. And I just think that being open to what is it? What is it that I learned today? What did I learn from that situation? So it's really fortunate that you have a coaching model here at West Islip. What advice would you give leaders who don't have that in their organization? Well, my advice would be that they need to reflect on, you know, what is it that they're trying to do and to try it out. You don't need to have a written philosophy about how you do things in order to do that. I do think it goes back to establishing those relationships, building that trust, Mm -hmm. letting people to see who you are. But it does come with a lot of conversation. I mean, coaching, you may feel like you want to tell someone this is what you need to do, but you need to have the conversation because you need to bring that person either to that place or to realize, you know what, maybe that's not the real place they need to be in through that conversation. So again, one teacher at a time, we could only think of a million reasons why not to do things. Right. Coaching isn't taught about in our leadership preparation courses. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's a vital part of our growth, right? Yes. So if I don't have a coach within the organization and it's not a coaching model, then it would behoove me to get a coach, to uh, find a coach, right, right? Right, absolutely. You still need to have these kind of conversations because mm-hmm. what kind of a coach do I need? Where would that person be to support what I need to do? But I do think it's a whole different mentality in what we think of with academia versus performing arts, music programs, in athletics, it's easy to do this coaching model because that's what it is. I mean, it's, you know, and we expect that. I think that 
you know, not only if we would want for our teachers, we do want that for our students as well. Mm -hmm. Remember going from teaching first grade to fifth grade and seeing the difference about how reserved the fifth graders became versus the first graders. First graders just mm -hmm. answer anything. They take all these risks. Even if it has nothing to do with what you're teaching, there's lots of things going on in first grade. In fifth grade, kids, they're already being shaped that if I don't know the answer, I don't raise my hand all those pieces and I remember thinking about it because it was mind-blowing to me going from first to fifth grade kids just like looked at me like they understood what I was saying when I said to them listen if you knew everything you needed to know in fifth grade you wouldn't be here I wouldn't be here I wouldn't have a job <laughs> there wouldn't be sixth grade I said yeah I said you know I said this is what makes it so exciting is that we're on this journey together mm -hmm. you know and they're like oh that's right I said so you should really know nothing right now in fifth grade and if you can get your students to think that way, that's awesome because then they want to learn. But it's difficult for adults because adult learning is different and it's far more painful. You really have to kind of tease that out. So that's why I really think about tapping into people's strengths. Mm -hmm. Even saying to them, you know, I would love for you to share that with somebody over here or pulling things out, doing things at faculty meetings, co-teaching. Let's try something new. Let's both. Let's, I haven't done it. Let's just try it. And realizing, oh, look, I'm taking a risk. They're taking a risk. It's not being written up. They're not being, you know, evaluated. And then when it turns out and it's fantastic and you are putting something in, recommending them or commending them for what they're doing, those are great moments. Yeah. So here's a doozy. Mm -hmm. If there was something you can change in education in the U.S., what would that be? You know, it's, it's so pervasive in education right now, but if I could take the politics out of education, mm. I think that would be like a miracle worker. Talk, talk to us about that. We have legislators uh, making decisions without thought about what actually goes on. Looking at education like it's just purely a business, we don't have a margin of error. We're not just cranking out, you know, widgets. We have students right in front of us, our children. And I also see it at the local level where we have decisions that might not be made in the best needs of the institution or the organization, but that's where people are right now. And we're making a decision that can really hamper the growth about maybe where we need to go. And I think now with technology and how exponentially it grows and changes mm -hmm. and realizing that we are trying to develop a program for students when we don't even know what type of jobs are going to be out there for them. It's very daunting. So to keep our educational programs and offerings the same that we did 40, 50 years ago, is a grave mistake and we need to be thinking a little differently and sometimes that's difficult it might be difficult because of the state mandates or it could even be you know about the community you live in you see different districts are able to do different things right. some good some not so good but it's just based on where they are thank you so much for that Anne. now what have you read that our listeners should read and why First of all, I think it's very important for us to always keep reading and keeping abreast of new things that are coming out. I found myself in the beginning of my administrative career always reading things on leadership, which is okay, that's good, you know, but you need to go out of your comfort zone as well. You know, I mentioned before reading Student-Centered Coaching by Diane Sweeney. Mm -hmm. We haven't had our first part of the book talk, but I'm anxious to see what the group will be talking about because it really delves into how do you coach that you're getting results out of it where you're having people not only delving into curriculum and the content or barely through that, but to 
really kind of assessing about what do students know, how do we know, what kind of you know data are we using for that, kind of putting a picture to it. So you have these stories about your students so that you're able then to pass that forward. Mm-hmm. That's why I would recommend that. It's something different than I was normally reading. Mm-hmm. Opens up to a different perspective, mm-hmm. seeing things a little differently. Or validating some things, which always feels wonderful. <laughs> What you're doing, you call it a book club. Have you ever heard of mastermind groups? No. It's an old way of processing information. It was coined by Napoleon Hill. When a group of people get together and their purpose is to learn and grow, they're coachable, they want to learn different perspectives, they get together around a certain topic and a mastermind develops. And it's a thinking that is higher than each one of them individually Hmm. that would never have happened had they just decided to read on their own or to study something on their own. Oh, I love that. And it's really powerful. It's more than a book club because you're putting something into practice and then you discover new things. I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, so we touched on this a little bit. You have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? So I have a little bit of a routine. I mentioned before, some mornings I work out in the morning. I go to CrossFit. When I come home, I always have a cup of coffee with my husband, and I always do a Sudoku puzzle (laughs) just to focus myself. And then I look to see what my day schedule is going to be. It's not that I don't have an idea, but I find that if I'm constantly thinking about tomorrow, it can seem a little overwhelming. So I chunk up my time. At the end of the week, I always check to see what I'm having the following week. And then in the beginning of the week, I just double check myself to make sure. I actually schedule myself a lunchtime. Even though I don't usually take lunch, it gives me an opportunity to either catch up on stuff and, you know, eat things like that. Yeah, but I find is important. Eating is important. <laughs> I can find is I don't need to go out for lunch, but right. I, I have to be purposeful in order to try to maintain my health. And that's important because we can lose our health in doing really important work. Absolutely. It's like almost a little reprieve. Do I sometimes schedule things in there? Yes. It's still better than it was before. (laughs) So if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? What I would tell myself is sometimes you need to go slower to go faster. You and I spoke a little bit about this before. You think you have the decision, okay, Mm -hmm. now let's go. Here's the plan. Let's set it into place. It doesn't always work that way. So I think that, you know, you need to take the time, set up all the pieces, and realizing, okay, it's a baby step, it's another baby step, it's another baby step, oh, we got to go back, mm-hmm. something else we have to do. But it's well worth it to take the steps because you will get where you want. I think you get there sooner because you've taken all those steps and realized that you either had an answer for it or you came up with some kind of solution or that it didn't really mean anything. But I know when I first started out, okay, we got this, we did the committee, we recommended it, now we're going to implement it, that's fine, everyone's happy. Oh, not everyone's happy. You know you're not going to make everyone happy, but when you set up the relationships, the trust, people may not agree, but they can respect the decision because they respect where it came from and they understand the reason why. Thank you so much for that. It certainly speaks to me. I've learned to love the process <laughs> or embrace the importance of yes, it. Yes, yes, exactly. Sometimes I don't love it, but yes, I embrace the I importance was... <laughs> of it. <laughs> now, Anne, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't touched on? This is a great opportunity, and I do want to thank you for the opportunity. Um, thank you. This has just been a nice experience for me. Help me to self-reflect as well. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I think I would like to take advantage of for any future leader, someone who's thinking ahead is 
Something I would tell my administrative students is that sometimes we know what the answers are, but we know how we want to be treated. You can go for it. When you're a leader, this is your opportunity. Again, we talked about this before. There's a million reasons why not to do something. Mm -hmm. You just need that one good one. I know I sound like Lady Gaga, but that one good reason (laughs) Mm -hmm. to move forward. And we know, for the most part, what's good for students, what's good for teachers. Let's just put it into practice. You have an opportunity. Try to make the most of it. Well, Anne, thank you so much for pouring into me and into our listeners. Oh, thank you again. feel very excited about this. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.